I'm Greg Jarrett. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Charles Payne, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, March 25th, 2020. I'm Lisa Brady. Even during a global pandemic, riding to America's rescue is no easy feat in Washington. We, we really are in this terrible us versus them moment where, where, where any advantage you can have over your political opponent must be taken, even in the worst of times. I'm Dave Anthony. For many Americans, the bills are piling up, but the paychecks aren't coming anymore. I'm encouraging people to really get into conserve mode right now. And by conserve mode, what I mean is, is all unnecessary spending must stop immediately. And I'm Cal Thomas. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. While millions of Americans are essentially hibernating to help stop the spread of the new coronavirus, a new spirit of cooperation has been sprouting in Washington. But that didn't last long. I don't know what's in the hearts, um, but we've seen this before where they clearly have shown they'd rather hurt the country um, for their own political power. And it, it is just disgusting. Arizona Senator Martha McSally among the Republicans blaming Democrats after phase three of coronavirus relief, an epic stimulus package, stalled following days of bipartisan talks between lawmakers and the White House. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer questioning Republican priorities. And we're fighting for transparency, oversight, disclosure when the federal government gives corporations money. Hope for an eventual consensus was enough to help fuel a record rally on Wall Street Tuesday. But how does the politics of this look from the outside? It's a call to stop and think before you react. Congressman Dan Crenshaw is a Republican congressman from Texas and a former Navy SEAL. In an op-ed on FoxNews.com, he rips into China for its initial handling of early reports about the virus and subsequent propaganda criticizing the U.S. Crenshaw calls it another chapter in misinformation campaigns that manipulate America's freedoms and divisions to benefit our enemies. You know, we, we have to be stronger as a country. And, and, and a part of being mentally tough is the ability to stop before you tweet, stop before you, before you, say, before you say that thing on Facebook, before you share that, that, that piece of unverified information. Um, you know, I, I, I always question, like, do, do people really think that calling it the Chinese virus is racist? You know, I, I love the, the people saying that, the people... But the people perpetuating that narrative, I wonder, I wonder if they would pass a lie detector test. I don't and, and my 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 intuition is that they wouldn't. My intuition is that they don't actually believe that their fellow Americans are racist. I don't think they actually believe that. But they're willing to say it. And they're willing to say it loudly. And you know, why is that? Well, it's political opportunism more than anything else, right? Because we, we really are in this terrible us versus them moment. Where, where, where any advantage you can have over your political opponent must be taken, even in the worst of times. And, and I, think, I think that's the, the, the message I'm, I'm, I'm trying to send people. I mean, just, just stop and think. And, and again, political opportunism, you want more examples of that? Well, this, this past week has been that, when the Democrats torpedoed a, 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 what was a bipartisan rescue package for the American economy. The only reason is political opportunism. I mean, there's there's... It, it, it's a real shame, and this just isn't the time for it. Of all the times, this just isn't the time for it. 
to counter um, the Senate Minority Leader, Chuck Schumer, has said, look, they just want more focus on workers and small businesses. They're worried about corporations having too much leeway with billions of dollars in taxpayer funding. We cannot have a situation where when a company is getting money from the Treasury, Federal Reserve, that they we don't know about it. I mean, is any of that a legitimate argument? No, it's not. And they know it. And and, and here's the other thing. Chuck Schumer was talking about how bipartisan the package was on Saturday. So what made him change his tune? He knew it was in the package. He was happy with it before. Why would all of a sudden his 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 mind change? Well, because Nancy Pelosi, who is who is who is extremely influenced by the far left, got into the negotiating room and changed everything on them. And so, well, let's address let's address each of those concerns um, rather quickly. So, first of all, bigger picture: what is the goal of a of, of an economic rescue package? The goal of an economic rescue package is is to keep fuel in the economy as we press pause on it. Okay, so we we, we deliberately said to businesses, you can no longer operate. We deliberately said, stop going into businesses. We deliberately said, you can't take any more revenue. If you're going to do that, you have to inject capital into those businesses. And, and make sure that they can keep people on payroll. I, I'm not sure how to be more pro-worker than to keep people working, keep people getting their paycheck. Democrats have this odd sense of what an, how an economy functions. They think that the government can just keep giving people money and let them get laid off. There's nothing pro-worker about that. And, and, and as much as they hate this notion that corporations employ people, they do. They employ Americans. And, and again, what I like to point out is an American that loses their job, whether they work for a small company or a big company, is no different. It's still an American, still your neighbor. And as far as uh, there not being any protections for workers, I mean, in fact, there was quite a bit of regulation put into that bipartisan bill. For instance, um, in there, if, if you're going to take these direct lending programs, you couldn't do stock buybacks, can't increase uh, pay for executives. They capped pay for executives. Also said, that it had to have the payroll, the, the same payroll since March 13th. So again, it, it, it's quite literally protecting workers' jobs. You can't be a worker if you're not working, okay? Then you're just unemployed and, and, and a de facto employ, uh, government employee because you're just hoping that the government will give you money. But that's not what we want to do. We want to press pause on the economy while we, while we deliberately slow the spread of the virus and, and allow people to restart the economy rather quickly Um, Once we've gotten the public health side uh, figured out. What is your home state of Texas doing to help small businesses? Do you have any sense of how, you know, the average Texan is handling this economic shutdown in general? Well, they're hurting. I mean, hurting badly. Uh, A friend of mine's restaurant and barbecue joint just closed. Uh, I was just visiting another uh, restaurant in in my district and they're they're on the brink of, of closing. They've lost a ton of their business. But here's what they need most. They need some predictability. And this is what I'm encouraging Texas leaders to do. And I'd encourage the president to, to back up, which I think he is. We need a timeline. Okay, we need balance between the public health side and the economy side. There's two crises going on right now. It's the pandemic and it's the economy. And we need to have balance between those two. And eventually we need to be have a very clear timeline where we transition to a more targeted approach. Um, what, what some would call a, a vertical approach as opposed to a horizontal approach, because right now we shut down horizontally the entire economy. Eventually, we need to be we need to be more targeted in how we deal with this. You know, making sure that we're taking care of our most vulnerable population, 
Uh, making sure that we're still encouraging social distancing, but also getting back to work, especially for those who, who are less vulnerable, those without any pre-existing conditions, uh, younger population, and you know people like myself um, and, and many others like me. So th- this is the balance that I think we need to strike, and, and the economy needs a, a predictable timeline in order to do that. I think that would help a lot. One of the things that I also hear happening, it seems like on a daily basis, is this kind of tug of war of information between what the federal government says and what some states say. And I raise this because the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, in particular, um, keeps saying, you want a pat on the back for sending 400 ventilators? What are we going to do for 400, with 400 ventilators when we need 30,000 ventilators? And he kind of issued a warning on Tuesday. We are just a test case. And that's how the nation should look at it. Look at us today. Where we are today, you will be in three weeks or four weeks or five weeks or six weeks. We are your future. What is the American people supposed to do when they hear these kind of conflicting narratives? The states saying one thing and the federal government saying, oh, but we are stepping up and trying to help you. Is it just a a case of time where it takes a long time for the federal initiatives to kind of filter through? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure that example is a a conflict in narrative necessarily. Uh, if, If Governor Cuomo says he needs more ventilators, I believe him. If the federal government says they're going to try and get him more ventilators, I believe them. Is it going to move as fast as we want to? It never is going to move as fast as we want to. Um, we need to try and make it move, move as fast as possible. You know, but, the, but this is an example of, in, in, a broader, in a broader sense, maybe the, the conflict is why are some states um, implementing more draconian measures than some states aren't? I think the answer to that is, well, some states like New York simply have more cases. It, it, they're, they're, they're working off of the reality that they live in. Um, this is why we have a federalist structure. What makes sense for New York doesn't necessarily make sense for Ohio with less cases or even Texas with a lot less cases. So I, I'm, I'm not sure there's a conflict. As I understand it, Governor Cuomo and the president have been working quite well together. You have an extremely, uh, what sounds now like a very timely book coming out on April 7th, Fortitude, American Resilience in the Era of Outrage. Yeah, um, and uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, of course, it's probably the worst time to, to actually come out with a book, but I can't control that. Well, a lot of people uh, need new I, stuff to read, so I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's a good time. Every chapter in that book is a lesson in mental toughness. And um, the, the premise of the book is outrage culture. This this tendency that we've, we, we have, and it's gotten way worse over the last decade, to, to find the worst in each other, to use social media, to cancel people and call for their firing and and really just take the most aggressive stance possible even when it's unnecessary uh, that, that that's the premise and um and what i argue is that that outrage culture that victimhood culture it, it's it's really transformed into this sort of hatred of our institutions of each other this group on group identity politics and ultimately this this tearing down of the story of america and the story of america's founding and and I, and I bring up a lot of examples in that throughout it, but but mostly it's a it's mostly it's not a political book. Um, it's, it's actually very very light on the politics, and and I'm I'm very careful to criticize conservatives as well as liberals in it. Um, but mostly it's a personal fortitude book. Okay, so so every lesson is derived from my experience in combat and the SEAL teams. Uh, it's derived from history. It's derived from psychology. 
And so we really dive deep into the psychology behind uh, suffering um, and, and, and how that's beneficial to your daily life. Sounds like good inspiration. Texas Congressman Dan Crenshaw, former Navy SEAL and now author as well. Thanks a lot for your time. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. This is Cal Thomas with your Fox News commentary coming up. This coronavirus outbreak is not slowing down in the U.S. yet. But President Trump has just about had it with what it's doing to the economy. People are going to go out of business and they're going to go bankrupt and they're not going to have jobs. What are we talking about here? The president reiterating what he first tweeted early Monday, that the cure of shutting down businesses, restricting gatherings, keeping people at home can't be worse than the problem. I would love to have the country opened up and uh, just raring to go. By Easter. He said that to Bill Hemmer during a Fox News town hall forum on Tuesday. That's 19 days from now. It's okay. Is that true? Is that possible? Or is I that think false it's possible. Out? Why isn't it? I mean, we've never closed the country before, and we've had some pretty bad flus, and we've had some pretty bad viruses, and I think it's absolutely possible. Now, people are going to have to practice all of the uh, social distancing and don't shake hands and wash your hands and all of the things that we're doing now, but we have to get our country back to work. A lot of Americans have already taken a financial hit, and it's expected to get worse. This is a tough time, Uh, times like we've not seen before uh, on a global scale. Chris Hogan is a personal finance expert. You know, the reality is, is with 70, 79% of Americans live in paycheck to paycheck um, and millions of people that are dealing with income or job loss by the end of this month. This is tough. And so, you know, the first thing I want to tell people to do is just take a collective deep breath and let's really start to really focus on the things that we can control. And I tell people that uh, as a start point because I think it's so necessary. There are so many things we can't control. We cannot control Congress. Uh, We cannot control this virus right now and all the uncertainty that's going on. But we can control our attitude, our outlook, and our actions. And staying in control of those three things, um, I'm honing in on the action part of things, on the finances, where I'm encouraging people to really get into conserve mode right now. Right. Uh, And by conserve mode, what I mean is, is all unnecessary spending must stop immediately. And I'm talking about the gym memberships because you're you're still paying for those online, even though the gym is closed uh, or any unnecessary subscription. So that conserve mode is the first way, first place to start, because, uh, Dave, I'm telling people you have to take care of the four walls. And what I mean by four walls, this would be your your housing uh, as well as your utilities, uh, your food, your transportation and having clothes on your back. All right. Now, what do people do? You said that about four in five of us live paycheck to paycheck. So that means there's really not much emergency funding for a lot of people, not a lot of money in the bank. So do we prioritize what bills we have to pay? Obviously food, you can't go without that. We're going to eat the food that we have in our pantries, the stuff that we have in our freezer. And so, you know, we're going to have some creative meals right now. But the most important thing is to have substance and to make sure that you're able to take care of your family. All right. With April 1st looming, let's deal with rent and let's deal with mortgage because obviously everyone's different. What can people do? They're not getting paid. They have a bill. What should they do? What's the next step? 
Well, I think first and foremost, the, the first step you can take is to acknowledge that this is tough and it's frustrating, but we're going to take action. And as I tell people, even if you don't have money to pay, you can pay attention to the bill. And that means picking up the phone and contacting the creditor. So you're calling your landlord. You're obviously talking about the job loss or the income loss and all the things that are going on. And you're beginning to have a discussion on what you can afford to do and when. And this is not something that is uh, an easy conversation. Uh, as I tell people, you're not debating, you're stating. And that means you're being clear about what you can afford to do and upfront and honest. And so you got to have that discussion. And the same would be said with rent as well as with a mortgage. You're going to contact your mortgage servicer, explain to them the situation, take notes on who you spoke with, ask them to document your account. So as other people start to call, they can at least have a background of your situation and what's going on. So could you, say, make a deal with them and say, oh, what if I pay interest only? Can you do things like that? Well, some uh, with a with a you know uh, everybody is going to be different, uh, and typically with secured debts, Dave. And by secured debts, I'm talking about car loans, motorcycle loans, and mortgages where it's secured by real collateral. Most of the time, they will not accept a partial payment, so they don't have to. Uh, so you can contact them and have a conversation to find out what they're willing to do. Some places are discussing about pushing the payments until the end, so it would just extend the period of indebtedness, uh, just because that's being discussed doesn't mean that necessarily your lender or mortgage provider has agreed to that. So I think it's always good to be proactive, contact them, take notes of who you spoke with, the date and the time, and keep that for your records. Okay, so let's say you have a loan and a payment's due. You could talk to them and they would say, okay, you don't pay us in April. That payment will be tacked on to the end of the term of your loan. Next payment's due in May. Is that is that what you're talking about? That is absolutely correct. And that is something that they do have the capacity to do. If we think back to the whole real estate and mortgage issue we had in 07, 08, and 09, mortgage companies were doing that for people. But again, it required us to reach out to contact the lender and to talk about our situation. All right. Now let's move to uh, dealing with the other expenses that you might have, other things in your uh like credit cards, for instance, mm-hmm. away from loans. People have a lot right. of credit card debt. What do, do you just make the minimum payment? I know you personal finance guys hate having debt, but at the moment, is that what you do? Just pay the minimum and just move on? It really is, especially with non-secure debt. So credit card loans, personal loans, things of that nature, you're going to just pay the minimum. And, you know, I want people to attack debt, but right now we're in conserve mode. So you're going to pay the minimum. You're going to save the other amount uh, for now until we get clarity around this virus and get it contained. Um, And with an unsecured debt, if you don't have the money and you've got five or six credit cards, typical credit card debts hovering around 12,000 right now per household. Uh, But if you don't have the money for the minimum, we're gonna do the same thing we did with a mortgage company. We're gonna call, but this time we're gonna be a little bit more firm because with non-secured debt, like credit cards and personal loans, there's nothing they can come take Uh, With your home, you can lose your home. You can lose where you're living. With a credit card, it's rare for them to come pursue you legally. They can. But again, if we're communicating and being upfront and asking them to document the account and you're you're communicating clearly, sending them something, your minimum payment may be $50. And if all you can afford to send them is $10, uh, something is better than nothing. All right. Student loans. What about those? 
Student loans are tough. Um, and, you know, right now I would contact them and have the same kind of conversation that I would have with a mortgage, uh, talking to them about paying interest or paying something and working with them. Again, for people that are out there dealing with this crunch, this is, they aren't the only people dealing with this. Uh, millions of people are walking through this kind of scenario and dealing with it. And so, uh, again, with some of the student loans, uh, they have waived payments. Uh, but again, you need to call to find out if your student loan provider is one of those. It is expected that unemployment is going to spike. There are predictions of a jobless rate that could hit 20, maybe 30 percent. Small businesses employ a majority of Americans. An U.S. Chamber of Commerce survey estimates a third of companies with fewer than 500 employees have no funds for unexpected losses. So yes, cutting payroll and laying people off is happening. So how should small businesses be handling things? Well, again, it's going to come back to really taking a, a collective deep breath. My heart goes out to these small businesses. I'm a former small business owner myself. Uh, the entrepreneurs that entrepreneurs out there that have this vision of serving people and, and bringing a product or service to the market. Uh, right now, they have to go into conserve and protect mode as well. Uh, there's a lot of discussions about programs, the Small Business Administration providing things, uh, these funds to these small businesses. Again, right now, it is conjecture and just talk. What these small business owners need to do is to go into protect mode for themselves. As I tell them, I want them to get on a budget immediately. I want them to take care of the four walls. That's the housing and utilities, their food, transportation, and clothing. They need to pause any kind of extra payments toward debt and make minimum payments. They need to sell some stuff. They may have some inventory. A friend of mine owns a steakhouse. And right now what he's doing is he can't have people come in to eat. Uh, so what he's doing is selling some of the inventory, some of the steaks wholesale out to some of his customers. And so, again, being able to pivot and think differently and respond to this situation by being proactive. Are they the ones, even more so than, than individual Americans, that are sitting there waiting for Congress, for loans, for whatever it is that they can do? Well, I think, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people are pinning their hopes on what Congress may or may not do. And so I want people to adapt the mentality of being able to help themselves uh, by being proactive, uh, looking to take on a temporary job or a side job. Let's get in the mindset of protecting ourselves. Uh, even if they do decide on the stimulus package, which I hope they do, and they send out a check, again, this could be a one-time check. It doesn't mean that it's going to be ongoing. So it's time for us to adapt and overcome in this situation. Life has changed as normal. And so when we pivot and we make necessary changes, we can respond accordingly and to be able to have a game plan moving forward. Unfortunately, in this epidemic, this pandemic, people are dying. More people will or get really sick. Is everybody behind on this, do you think, being ready if there's an emergency to have someone else in the household take over managing the money? Well, I think a lot of people are. And, you know, unfortunately, no one can predict things like this. Um, and so, you know, the mindset around this is going to be a wake up call for a lot of people uh, being able to be prepared and to be able to respond. Uh, if you have elderly parents, you know, it's very important to get a power of attorney in place so you're able to pay bills on their behalf. Um, if you're not on their checking account, uh, you're not allowed to have access by the bank's laws. And so a power of attorney is going to be something very important to have, as well as having a will. 
this is just having our wishes in order. Uh, 75% of Americans do not have a will, which means that uh, the government would make decisions about your stuff. And so I think this is going to be a wake up call for a lot of people with their finances, but also with their estates, just beginning to look at this and having some things in place. A plan can give you a peace of mind when you're clear on that plan and everyone's on the same page. What about someone who is single with kids and all these bills? What do they do to be prepared for someone to manage their money if they get sick? Forget their parents. What if they get sick? Well, and it's very important, you know, even if you're single with children, uh, to make sure that you've got an executor uh, and someone that that is is going to take care of your kids and your estate. And so it's really important to talk to, you know, have that friend that you really trust or that family member that you trust and talk with them. Ask them to if they're willing to be that executor. And then you can this is things that you can put together inside of a state specific will. Uh, These are not extremely expensive. You can do it online uh, for a couple of hundred dollars or you can go sit down with an attorney. But if you have young people that you're responsible for, it is imperative to not only have a will in place, but to also have term life insurance. I tell people you want to have 10 to 12 times your annual income in term life insurance. And Dave, it's really important not to have this insurance inside of your job. You need to have it outside of your job. So if you are laid off or you lose your job, you don't lose your life insurance. Lastly, how much cash should I have squirreled away in case whatever happens to my bank account or whatever? Well, I think it's it's important for us to understand that unlike the situation that we dealt with in 07 and 08, where we had a banking and real estate crisis, this is not a banking crisis. Uh, right now, what we have is a virus. We have a pandemic going on with an invisible enemy. And so the banks are okay. Uh, you know, the FDIC insures every account up to $250,000. So if you want to have some cash at home, that's fine. But make sure you have a fireproof safe. Uh, your money is best is more safe in a bank than it is in your home. Well, we all hope our money is safe in this, but it's it's a real tough time. Chris Hogan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, sir. Download and make it Hammer Time with Bill Hammer. Trey Gowdy, welcome. So if the department is going to start issuing, making public investigations about people that you don't even have enough information to charge, that is a slippery slope. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Cal Thomas. What's on your mind? If anything good can come from the coronavirus pandemic, it's the revelation of America's over-reliance on China, especially when it comes to drugs. Interviewed by NBC News, retired Brigadier General John Adams said, quote, basically, we've outsourced our entire industry to China. That is a strategic vulnerability, unquote. Adams spent his 30-year military career as an intelligence officer, a military attache in South Korea, and deputy U.S. military representative to NATO. He told the network he thinks China knows, quote, exactly what they're doing, and they're incredibly good strategists. They select their industries for the future, and they've got a plan, unquote. China has threatened to restrict drug exports to the U.S. following President Trump's accusation that the regime withheld news of the virus, which surfaced in Wuhan last December. The New York Times reports Chinese pharmaceutical companies have supplied more than 90 percent of U.S. antibiotics, vitamin C, ibuprofen, and hydrogen 
hydrocortisone, as well as 70% of acetaminophen and 40 to 45% of heparin in recent years, according to Yang Song Huang, a senior fellow for global health at the Council on Foreign Relations. That's called leverage, and Beijing could use it any time it chooses. It has recently threatened to do so. I once tried buying American, focusing on items made only in this country. I gave up after a few days. It was nearly impossible to find anything not stamped made in China. For too long, U.S. businesses have outsourced to China, exploiting their cheap labor to maximize profits. While supply chains are more diversified than ever, it would be a patriotic exercise and in our best interests if we could slowly transition many goods and services back to America. Nightly Business Report reported last summer what should become a trend, quote, The pace of companies moving production out of China is accelerating as more than 50 multinationals from Apple to Nintendo to Dell are rushing to escape the punitive tariffs placed by the U.S., according to the Nikkei Asian Review. If President Trump could promise to bring back jobs from overseas, as he did and has, why couldn't he do the same with drugs and other essentials made in China? It could not happen all at once, any more than the outsourcing occurred overnight, but we could begin the process, and this virus that has infected and affected the world gives our leaders an opportunity to start. Many of the profits earned by China from U.S. businesses have gone to support its vast military and expand its reach in other parts of the world. In a story about China's growing presence in Latin America, Business Insider noted, quote, In early December, El Salvador's president announced that China had agreed to gigantic, non-refundable cooperation with his country, investing an undisclosed amount in projects, including a stadium, water treatment plant, and tourist development. Less than two weeks later, Argentina's new government said it was ready to join the Belt and Road Initiative, China's sprawling infrastructure and development effort, which would make it the first of the region's four major economies to do so. Those two developments at opposite ends of Latin America are only the latest signs of China's deepening ties in the region. The U.S. views China's rapid expansion warily, but seems unsure of what to do about it. China poses a greater threat to U.S. interests than the Sandinistas and other communist and communist-backed groups ever did. We'd better pay attention to China's plans and take countermeasures, or made in China could eventually be stamped on the United States. I'm Cal Thomas. You have been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to Fox News Radio's hourly newscast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, visit foxnews.com. Download Fox News Channel's The Five podcast for free. Five of your favorite Fox News personalities discuss current issues in a roundtable discussion. Get it now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and foxnewspodcasts.com. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.